We're going to be in Matthew chapter 24 starting out. How many of you like, how many of you like chicken? Huh? Chicken is the gospel bird. In fact, I was told one time, if you wake up in the middle of the night craving chicken, it's a sign that you're called to preach the gospel. And I believe that people believe that because when I was a kid, we used to go and my dad pastored a church and we would have to travel to the church. We, we lived in our own home and we'd travel, I don't know, 45 minutes or an hour. And people at the church would invite us over to their house for dinner afterwards because he would stay all day and then we'd go have church that night. And everybody fed us chicken. Man, I've ate chicken every way you can imagine. Uh, any description, if you, if you can fix chicken... I bet it fixed that way. And the reason I mention that is uh, who eats chicken just one time and you never eat chicken again? I mean, you eat chicken over and over, right? Well, the Word of God is like the food to our soul. And so sometimes we need to eat the same meal again. And so what I ministered on last week, I just felt impressed to go back over some of that material again. Because it's not a subject that I address a lot. And um, sometimes the best teacher is uh, re- redundance. And so some of this is going to, I'm going to give you chicken again this morning. It's going to be some f- fresh vegetables thrown in with the mix here. But you're going to get some of the same chicken. I don't know if it's fried or chicken and dumplings or chicken, what is that, El Blue or I don't know. What it is. Any way you can fix it. However you like it, it's coming at you that way, all right. But starting out with, I wanted to get some fresh vegetables on the table here. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. It says, this is Jesus talking now. If you have a red letter edition, you'll see all this is in red. It says, but of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord is coming. Verse 43, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household to give him food in due season? Blessed is the servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servant and to eat and to drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two 
and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now last week, I preached on a sermon entitled, Rapture Ready or Capture Ready. And we focus more or less on the signs of Christ's return. I focused on the hope that it offers to those who are prepared and ready for that return. And the fear and the uncertainty for those that are not ready. At the end of the sermon, I talked about the five virgins that were foolish and the five that were wise. Because there's five virgins that didn't have any oil in their lamp. They didn't have their lamps trimmed. They didn't have their lamps burning. And it represents Christians that have not kept the oil in, of the Spirit in their life. They've, not kept their, they've let their light go out. They let their oil run out. People who have drawn back and who have fallen away from Christianity. And, of course, the five wise versions represents those who have kept the oil of the Spirit alive, who've kept the fire burning, who've kept their light going, kept their wicks trimmed. And so we see the stage being set for the return of Christ. Now, we will rejoice when we see Him appear, if He appears in our lifetime. And I don't know if he will or not. I live like he will. I believe that he will. But I don't know. Because we just read, no man knows the hour of the day except God. But I believe that we will. And I live as if I will see him return. And I will rejoice when I see that. But what do we do from now till then? And I kind of felt like when I I went over this in my mind over the week. And I sort of felt like I, I left some of you thinking, oh, no. What's going to get ready to happen? And, and like, what am I supposed to do now? You know, I know I'm supposed to look for Jesus to come back, but what am I supposed to do when I get up tomorrow and the next day and the day after that? And so I wanted to kind of focus a little bit uh, this morning on how we should conduct our lives day to day and how she would live day to day. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word again this morning, Lord, we know that it is it's always a now word, God, and Father, I get before you and I, and I pray and I say, God, speak to me. Give me something to speak to your people. And Lord, I believe that you do that. And today, God, I feel like that you've impressed upon me, to Lord, to share this once again, Lord, and to encourage your people um, in how to conduct our day-to-day lives, Lord. So, Father, I pray that you just speak through me, to, through the Spirit, Lord, and uh, God, that you would speak your words today. God, I just yield my members to you right now, Father, to be your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, to really grasp this, I need to look at one more scripture. I want us to look at the scripture that we started out with last week because it ties in perfectly with Matthew chapter 24. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, if we could read that. You don't mind reading the Bible, do you? That's good. And uh, Ed also paid me a compliment. I appreciated that. He said, I have learned so much since I've been here because we just read the Bible and tell you what it says. And um, the Bible does the teaching. All I'm doing is just telling you what it says, you know. And so I appreciated that compliment. Verse 1 of Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letters, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Apparently, there was a letter circulating that was attributed to the apostle that was insinuating or or, 
of suggesting that Christ had already come. He said, don't be troubled by any of that. Verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God sent them strong delusion that they should believe the lie and that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, Paul's main topic in that all of that, what he's saying there, was found in verse 1 when he says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering of his saints. Everything that he said after that is all focused around that topic. We're talking about when Jesus comes back again. But what he's actually pointing out here is not only the rapture of the church, but his glorious return. And sometimes we get those two confused. Because people say, well, Jesus is coming back again, and they talk about the second coming. But the second coming, what we consider the second coming, is his glorious appearing. Because there's actually going to be two returns of Christ. Just like there were two ascensions. One ascension was secret. The other was public. There will be two returns. One of them will be secret. One will be public. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, But of the time and the season, brethren, verse 1, You have no need that I write to you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Nobody sees the thief when he comes. My house has been broken into several times. And believe me, I didn't know he was coming. Until I walk in my house and I looked and somebody's been in my house. And they've stolen my things and they've broken things. And thank God that was many years ago, but... You don't, that's not public. That's secret. It's private. It's quiet. You don't know what's happened until after it happened. But there's also going to be a return of Christ that's going to be public. You see in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, he has just said in verse 8, You will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And then in verse 9, he says, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld... He was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards the heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into the heavens? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. 
So he's talking about two different things. One time he's coming back, he's just going to be like a thief in the night. The next time he comes back, you will see him come just as you saw him go. Be nothing secret about it. It'll be public. Also in Matthew chapter 24, verse 30, it says this, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So you've got to see there's two things happening here. In Corinthians it talks about in the last days at the last trump the dead in Christ shall rise and those that are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet him in the air. And so shall they ever be with the Lord. Now in that, in, in that account of Jesus' return, he does not come down and touch ter, uh, planet earth. We meet him in the air. And the Bible describes that event as a thief in the night. The only people that's going to hear his call are those who are ready to meet him. The whole thing with the, with the five foolish virgins and the five wise. The foolish virgins heard, the bridegroom cometh, but they weren't ready to meet him. The five wise virgins were ready to meet him. He always came. And, and I did a whole sermon series on that about the, the Jewish wedding, how they always would come late at night. And they would come with their lamps and they would say, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. And they would get up and get their lamps ready and they would go with the bridegroom to the wedding feast. That is the rapture of the church. But the second one is not going to be private at all. He's going to come in great power and glory in the clouds. And the Bible says in that account, He will call all of the elect from one end of heaven to the other. In one account, he's gathering us from the earth. The dead in Christ rise. Those that are alive on earth are caught up. The other one, he's gathering them from one end of heaven to the other. So we can clearly see in Scripture there's two distinct returns of Christ. One of them is secret. One of them is public. And both of those accounts are, are mentioned in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Are you with me? Say amen. amen. Now. Also, it says in Jude, chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Now, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about the, these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all of who are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So in other words, the next thing on the prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. It could happen any time. And the more we see happening, the more we know that that hour is growing closer and closer and closer. Because the things that the Bible prophesied would happen, we're seeing them happen right now. Anybody, a news junkie, well, not a news junkie, but you keep up with current events. See what's going on in Israel. Just since I preached last Sunday. The Bible says it will escalate like a woman in travail. Now, ladies, you know, when you start getting close to giving birth, those labor pains start coming faster and faster and more intense and more intense. We're seeing that right now. And in fact, Jeannie looked at me when we were watching the news, said, 
growing pains. Birthing pains, she said. Birthing pains. I was like, she said, we see the birthing pains. I was like, yes, we do, honey. And so he's, he's going to call his saints together off of planet Earth. Seven years of tribulation like this world has never seen before. Three and a half of false peace. Three and a half of utter bloodshed. And then he's coming back again in his great glory, bringing the saints with him. Hallelujah. Setting up his kingdom. And Jude says to bring judgment on the earth and on the ungodly. And we will enter the 1,000 year millennial reign. All these things are prophesied. And it, folks, it, it is thrilling and exciting to me to be alive to see these things coming to pass. And I think we need to be able to. Jesus said, I'll tell you a parable. He said, look at the fig tree and you see the leaves on it. You know that there's fruit on it. He said, how is it that you can tell so much about the seasons by the fruit trees? But you can't read the signs of the times. And he said it as an admonishment. We need to be able to read the signs of the times. Amen. We know when the leaves begin to turn, fall is coming on. Doesn't take a rocket science to know that. We need to be able to read the signs of the times as well. Now, there, were, there are several things that Paul pointed out in, in the letter to the Thessalonians that has to take place before the glorious return. There's going to be a falling away. There is going to be someone that is restraining evil and lawlessness is going to be taken out of the way. And then that lawless one is going to be revealed. And then it says Jesus will destroy the lawless one. And he points out those four things and he's actually covering a wide range of prophetic events, of historical events that's going to take place. Both the rapture and the glorious return are in that. The lawless one, and I kind of ended on that last week, talking about who the lawless one, I believe, will be. And it's fitting more and more, he's fitting more and more into that role. How many of you remember talking about the Maud Day? How many of you were here last week? Okay. Some of you may not... Uh, may not know what I'm talking about, so let me just kind of go back over that real quickly for you. Right now, our nation is being ruled by ungodly men. And I'm just, I'm not, I don't have any, I don't have an axe to grind with any of these people. I'm just telling you what's happening, okay? So I'm not here to throw stones at anyone. I'm just telling you our nation is being ruled by ungodly men. They oppose the word of God while they show reverence to the Holy Quran. Now, now, let me also mention here, there's actually two books among the Muslims. One is the Quran. The Quran would be compared to, thus saith Allah. All right. And if you were to meet a Muslim and you were to talk about, or Muslims are radical, they're violent people, and... And, and imply that the Quran has called them to jihad, holy war, to violence. They may say to you, show me one verse in the Quran that calls for violence. And you wouldn't be able to do that. Because if you found a verse, they would explain it away as, well, that was an act of self-defense, or it was for a period of time, and that doesn't happen anymore. But at that point, then you would ask them, well... Do you believe that Muhammad is the true interpreter of the Quran? They can't deny Muhammad any more than you can deny Jesus Christ. They would have to say, yes, Muhammad is the true interpreter of the Quran. Then what about the book called the Hadith? Because the Hadith is the acts 
and the words of Muhammad, who is the true interpreter of the Quran. And it is filled with accounts of violence and calls for holy jihad and calls for people basically to take the sword to anyone that will not acknowledge that Allah is God and there's no other God before him and Muhammad is his messenger. And that is their whole purpose for, for being here. And when you think about it, that's Satan's whole gig. Right? I will make my throne above his throne, he said. I will place my throne on the sides of the north. He wanted to be God and he wanted all to bow down and worship him as God. He wants every person to declare that Lucifer is God. And there are organizations that do that, by the way. And I, we know witchcraft does it. And we know that, that uh, people who are in Wiccan and different things that acknowledge satanic worship. But there are other organizations who profess themselves to be Christians. And if you read in their literature, they acknowledge Lucifer as the god of the organization. And I better not get into that too much. i uh, go down that path, and that's not a good thing. But he's been at work a very long time to do that. Now... Our, our nation is being ruled by ungodly men, and we're seeing America go down the path that every empire before it has gone down, accumulating massive debt, and as a result, not able to repay that debt. And as a result of not being able to pay that debt, that nation collapses. We saw Babylon, who lent money to the, to the uh, Persians. The Persians could not repay it. So the Persians rose up and defeated Babylon. They instantly became more powerful and very wealthy because they didn't know the debt anymore. They not only had all their assets, but they had everything that Babylon owned. They, in turn, lend money to the Greeks. And Greece accumulated a massive debt that they could not repay. So they rose up and they defeated the Persian Empire. And then you had the Grecian Empire. Then Greece, in return, lent money to Rome. Rome had a massive debt, could not repay it, so Rome rose up and they defeated Greece. And thus you had the Roman Empire. Now the Roman Empire was different in that it did not, uh, it was not conquered by another empire, another nation. It was, it, it imploded, it, it fragmented, and it was taken over by the, the dramatic nations, and some of it was taken over by the Byzantine Empire, and and there's a lot of history about what happened to Rome, but the, the thing that we need to see about that is America has patterned its government identically to Rome. And we see America going the same path that Rome and every empire before it went. When we have a debt of $17 trillion and growing, we will never, ever pay that, repay that debt. It's impossible. It will never be repaid. And so what's going to happen... I predict what's going to happen is when you have a debt that you can't repay, your lender's going to come and repossess the things that you have. Just like you would do in your home. If you can't pay for your home, they're not going to let you live there. They're going to repossess your home. Now, they may repossess it and let you become a sharecropper of a sort. And I think that's what China's going to do. They're not going to kick us out of America because they want us to prosper. I mentioned China because that's who we're in debt to more than anybody else. And so I see America at some point having to sign over her assets to our lenders because we, as this debt keeps climbing, I mean, how, 
Just think about it. And then you're going to reach some point that they're going to say, I'm not lending you any more money. There is no bank that's going to just keep lending you money and lending you money that you could never repay them. At some point, they're going to want something in return, some collateral or something they're going to want in return. There are seven things that parallels America that was the same, that, that we saw happen in Rome that was the cause of the downfall of Rome. One was homosexuality became so widely accepted that it took over the entire empire. The Bible says in the last days they'll call good evil. And evil they will call good. Today, Christians, you are the evil people in America, whether you realize that or not. Because you're intolerant. Isn't it amazing how they tell us to be tolerant? But Christianity is, it's an open season on Christianity. And they're not very tolerant with you as a Christian and me as a Christian. And so if we stand up and say just simply what the Bible says, look, I'm not against a homosexual person anywhere. I love homosexual people. I love adulterous people. I love murderers. I love thieves. Jesus loved them. Who am I not to love them? I just simply point out what the Bible says. Homosexuality is an abomination. An abomination means an unthinkable evil. Now, God condemned a lot of different sins, but he condemned sin. some sins. He said these are worse than the others. And you say, well, are there different levels of sin? I believe there are. There's different levels of punishment. There's different levels of reward. Why else would you have a judgment? If everybody's going to get the same punishment and everybody's going to get the same reward, why do you have a judgment? The Bible says that the books will be open and you will be rewarded according to the deeds which you have done, whether they were good or evil. Right? Same books are going to be open and people are going to be rewarded. They're going to be judged or condemned or damned according to the deeds that they did, whether they were evil. So I don't see a person who's just a good person that just rejected Jesus Christ getting the same judgment as Saddam Hussein or, you know, or somebody who, Hitler or murderer or somebody who was very, very evil. They also, another thing, that they had the Pax Roma, which was Roman peace. They tried to be the world peacekeeper. It put such a burden on their treasury that they couldn't afford it. America's doing the same thing. People were living above their means. They bought homes in Rome that they could not afford. Because we get to the place that we're, we're just driven by our lust and our greed and our pride. And it's like somehow I deserve better. I deserve this. And we, we lavish things on ourselves here in America. Because somehow in our mind, we think we deserve them. We're entitled to them. We've heard that word entitlement a lot lately, haven't we? Well, just what makes me so entitled to those things? The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. Nobody's entitled to give me something to eat. Get up and go to work. And I'm a big guy advocate of that, brother. I, there was years that I didn't even see my house in the daylight. All winter long, it was dark when I left, and it was dark when I got home. Didn't have much time to play with my kids. My wife practically raised them without me because I was working myself in the ground, you know, because I believe in work ethic. We're not entitled to those things. And we should only buy the things that we can afford. Somebody say Amen. 
Rome took its most fatal blow when it started crying, tax the rich and redistribute the money. Taxes were so high that the wealthy could not even afford to have children. The working class couldn't afford taxes, so they quit their job and went on doles. What we call welfare today. They call it doling out money. You could make as much money on the, just sitting back letting the government pay you as you could working. Does that sound familiar to you? That stuff bugs me, folks. I Pray for me because if somebody's having a baby just to get another paycheck from the government, there's something wrong with that. Now, I love those people. I want to see them come to Christ and get their lives straight and do what the Bible said to do. But understand, that's wrong. And it is because of things like that that the nation is coming down. Things just like that. Say amen, please, so I know you're not mad at me. Finally, the senators became so corrupt that they cared more about being reelected than they did the people. This is why Rome fell. And folks, America is going right down the same path. I hate to bust your bubble, but no politician cares about you. They care about getting reelected. And if you help them get in there, they will give you a little something under the table. But they really don't care about you. They want to get in office. And I'm telling you, I've seen things. I'm like, my Lord, they will stop at nothing to get there. Oh, Lord. <clears throat> now, what we need to understand is when democracy fails, it paves the way for a dictator. And I read this last week, and I think it needs, uh, bears repeating. In 1750, that was 262 years ago, a Scottish historian, a lawyer and a writer and a professor named Alexander Tyler wrote this. He said, the cycle that civilizations experience. And he gave three noted comments that almost seem prophetic. He said, number one, a democracy is always temporary in nature. It simply cannot exist as a permanent form of government. A democracy will exist up until the time that the voters discover that they can vote themselves generous gifts from the public treasury. Number two, from that moment on, the majority will always vote for the candidate who promises the most benefits from the public treasury. This guy could have been printing that in the news today. But he wrote that 262 years ago. He finally said in number three, the results will be that democracy will finally collapse due to loose physical responsibility, which will always be followed by a dictatorship. So when I see this great and I believe last empire collapsing all around us, I know that this is biblical prophecy coming to pass. It has to happen. Now, some of us, it's sad to see it happen in our generation. But if we are too attached to the things of this world, that's the way we're going to see this, folks. It's sad to see this happen in my generation. 
But Jesus said, don't set your affection on things below, but set your affection on things that are above. Because when we see these things happen, it shouldn't depress me, it should excite me. If I'm a believer, because I know that God told me these things would happen and something better is getting ready to happen. And I don't care how good life might be for you, honey. I'm telling you right now, heaven is better. And whatever you feel like you're going to miss out here, miss out on here, you're not going to miss out on anything. Because it's better there. I don't know what it's going to be like, but I know it's got to be better there than it is here. Because no matter how good it is, it ain't all that pretty good. Sometimes. Amen. I mean, we can have life good, but how many of you lost loved ones? Our pet dog died this week. She was pregnant. She died having puppies. She just died. Life is good, but that's those kind of things are sad. You know, it hurts. It's just a dog. But I didn't want to sit. I mean, she was pretty cool little dog. You know, she was my rabbit dog. The last one I had. She actually belonged to Nathan. It was his dog, but I kept her. So now there's things that's going to be better there. There won't be any sickness there. There won't be any dying there. There'll be no sickness, no pain, no more parting over there. Forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. So no matter when we see things collapsing around us, we shouldn't be depressed by all of that. Better things are coming our way. But what we're seeing is exactly what, what this philosopher, this teacher, this professor prophesied basically would happen. He said it happens to every democracy. It's going to happen. We're seeing it happen. The takers outnumber the providers. And when the takers outnumber the providers, you can't go to the well and dip it so many times and the well runs dry. And then those who are providing for you is going to want their money, but you have no money to get them. To give them. And the people that's wanting all these free gifts from the public treasury, you can't give them anything. <laughs> and so they take to the streets and start rioting. To what we see happening in Greece right now. Because they feel like you're, they're entitled to these things. Brother, once you start giving that gift out, it's a whole, it's hard to tell them, you know, I'm not giving you that anymore. Because they don't want to hear that. They somehow feel like it belongs to them. They should have it. And they're going to ride into the streets. And I believe that's where we're headed. Because we have rejected the word of God in our schools. Blood is crying out. I pointed that out last week. 50 million babies have been aborted in America. And God told Cain, says, where's your brother Abel? He said, I'm not my brother's keeper. He said, his blood is crying to me from the ground. And I'm thinking, if God held Cain of, accountable for the innocent blood of one man, what is he going to do to America for 50 million unborn children whose lives have been taken? Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, he says, there are six things that God hates. Seven is an abomination unto him. A lying tongue, feet that are swift to, to run to mischief. The third thing he said is hands that shed Innocent blood. He hates it. His judgment has to come on America. There's no way around it. The spirit of Sodom and Gomorrah vexes our streets right now. See, in Sodom and Gomorrah, God said, he told Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And he said, I will not do something unless I tell the righteous what I'm going to do. And I'm paraphrasing that. He's like, God, would you spare it for 50 righteous men? God said, yes, I would spare it for 50 righteous men. He said, pre-adventure, if I found 40, would you spare it? Yes, I will spare it for 40. I hate to belabor the case, God, but what if I found 30? Would you spare it for 30? I will spare it for 30. And he goes all the way down to 10 righteous men. He said, Lot, if you can find 10 righteous men, I will spare Sodom and Gomorrah. He couldn't find 10 righteous men in the whole city. He sent his angels in to take Lot out because God knows how to save the righteous. It's a type of the rapture, folks. He will take the righteous out before the judgment comes. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. He comes like a thief to lift up his people above the tribulation. It's a type of the rapture. He sent the angels in to get Lot. And when they went into the house, the men of the city went and beat on the door and said, Send out those men that we may know them. If you know biblical terms, they wanted to have sex with these men. Men having sex with men. That was the judgment that came on Sodom and Gomorrah. If you're wondering why I'm talking about Sodom and Gomorrah and that the spirit of it is vexing our country, that is why. And the judgment of God came on Sodom and Gomorrah. It came on Rome. It comes. The judgment of God will come on a nation that embraces homosexuality. Read your Bible. Now, I'm not a homophobic. I'm just telling you what God has said. And His word will not lie and it shall come to pass. Always. Eventually, I believe America will turn her back on. I know America will turn her back on Israel. Because we read in Joel chapter 3, Amos chapter 9, Zechariah 14, and Matthew 24, that all nations, every nation, will come against Israel. And so eventually we will turn our back on Israel. And we're seeing right now 760 rockets have already hit in Israel this year. This year. And just this week, the prime minister of Egypt stood and said, The Egypt of today is not the Egypt of yesterday. Gaza shall never stand alone. Quote, end quote. What is he saying? The peace treaty that Egypt has had with Israel has ended. We are now standing with Gaza against Israel. They're, they're lining up, folks. Every nation will turn against her. And when you read your Bible, they'll come against her and they read Zechariah chapter 14. You want to read something interesting? And when they go into the city and begin to, to march against Israel, he said, In that day he sh shall ascend from heaven and his feet shall touch down on the Mount of Olives and it shall be clave in half. So that there will be a river that flows from the Mount of Olives from the former sea to the hinder sea. He's going to split the country right into and he'll set up his kingdom. And we read in, in, Th in Thessalonians, he will consume them with the breath of his mouth. <sighs> Folks, you want to be on the winning side of this, let me tell you. And Jesus is the winning side of this. And you better be ready to go with him. Have you got your lamps full of oil? Is your light burning? America right now is the poster child for democracy. And if America didn't promote democracy around the world, there would be no democracy. And when America falls, not if, when America falls, democracy falls. Yeah. 
In the words of Alexander Tyler, the next thing that is to follow is a dictatorship. It has to happen, folks. And when it happens, the world is the stage is set for this person to rise to power who will be the dictator of the entire world. The Bible's told us about this for thousands of years. He will be called the Antichrist. The only thing that is preventing him right now from doing that, look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you are in the way. And Jesus is fixing to take you out. He who restrains will restrain until he is taken out. Then the lawless one will be revealed. He's going to sign a seven-year peace treaty with Israel. Now, you have, let me ask you, who in the world could tell all the Muslims to lay down their sword and they will listen to that man? There is only one person that could do that. And it is in every... I, I talked about last week that the Christianity is it's, it's, it's a sectarian religion, meaning there are different sects. It's, it's divided. It's fragmented, fractured. Preached a sermon on that years ago, the fractured church. We got Pentecostals, we got uh, Methodists, Baptists, Presbyterian, all these different denominations. But we all share the same belief that Jesus is coming again. And when he appears, there won't be any separation. We will be united under this one flag, the flag of Jesus Christ. Right. The Muslims are the same way. There are many different factions of Islam. The two most familiar to us are the Shiites and the Sunnis. And they all have the same belief. The, the caliph will be reinstated. The, 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 it's called the caliph is the person. The caliphate is the office. The caliphate actually... It ruled for 14 centuries as what they considered a divine ruler. The caliphate was a person that ruled all of the Islamic people. He was like Christ to the Islamic people. They all united under his leadership and whatever he said, they did it. They followed it, I mean, to the letter. If you didn't, they cut your throat. It was abolished in 1924. But now there's a movement that is exploding like a volcano, calling for the reinstatement, the, 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 re, the reinstatement of the caliphate. The caliphate, the final, and Muhammad actually prophesied that the last caliph will arise and he shall be the Mahdi. They shall share that same title. Now the Mahdi, the caliphate, is to Islam like the Pope is to the Catholic Church. The Pope is the, what they consider the vicar of Christ. He is the voice of Christ himself to the Catholic Church. They listen to everything the Pope says. The Caliph is the same thing to Islam. Whatever he says, it's the same as Allah saying in himself. And they will do whatever he says. And when the church is taken out, he who restrains is taken out, this, this person will be revealed. And, folks, the stage is being set for this right now. I was watching the 700 Club this week. And they showed that in, in England, Sharia law has already been put in place. They have Sharia courts in England that are trying cases instead of English law. In Great Britain. Great Britain. 
And in London, they were lined up in the streets. The women are already wearing the full burqa. The only thing you can see is the slit in their eyes. They can't show anything but their eyes. And see, according to Sharia law, if you commit adultery, they'll stone you to death. Unless they want to be nice to you, and then they just cut your nose off or your ears or dismember you in some way that no man would ever want you again, ladies. And here's the thing. You don't have to commit adultery. All I've got to do is say you committed adultery. Or think that you're capable of committing adultery. And Sharia law gives me the right to, to mutilate you. That's Sharia law. And already there, the Muslims are in the streets of England threatening the women of England for not wearing the full burqa. If they show any skin, they're, they're threatening to beat them. They're beating gays in the street. They're stoning them in the street. And they, they showed one sign. The street was full of people. Muslim people, all of them hold the exact same sign. It said in great big print, Islam will rule the world. And in small print, it says freedom can go to hell. You want to know what Islam is about? Islam will rule the world. And it will. And freedom can go to hell. Folks, we're seeing this happen right around us. The stage is being set right now for the revealing of the Antichrist. And we're seeing it. This Antichrist to the Sunnis is called the righteous, I'm sorry, the rightly guided and awaited one. To the Shiites, they call him the Sahib al-Zaman, which means the Lord of the age. Now, what's interesting about that is that's the same title given to Satan by the Apostle Paul. When he wrote to the church of Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 3 and 4. It says this. But even if our gospel is veiled. It is veiled to those who are perishing. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Who is the image of God should shine on them. What did we read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? Let me read it again. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. What lie? The lie that I am God, standing in the temple of God, declaring myself that I am God. And they will believe it. Because you think about this. The world is in chaos. And a man rises to the surface and he calls for peace. Across the globe. And all of the Islamic people who are causing the majority of the problems right now will lay their sword down. And peace will come across the globe. And every Miss America that's gotten up and said, what do you want? Well, I want world peace. Will get what they asked for. Are you hearing me? Now, he who has restrained this individual has been taken out. The church is gone. Our influence is gone. The only church that is left here is underground. They're not an influence in the earth anymore. What is the rest of the world going to think about this person? He says he's God. He must be. Who could do what this man has done? And the world will become a follower. I won't say Islam because all of it will not become Islam. The Hindus will never deny their religion. The Buddhists will never deny their religion. 
But when he declares global jihad, and he will, they will rise up, I believe, three and a half years. I believe that's what the whole tribulation, the three and a half year period, he is going to declare global jihad, holy war. And if you will not confess that Allah is God, and there's no other God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet, they will kill you. The bloodshed that we will see will be in that point in time. I may be wrong, but it just fits in my mind. So, what are we supposed to be doing from now till then? Because Jesus can come back tomorrow. But folks, I may live to be in my 80s or 90s and never see Jesus return. I may die. Some of you teenagers might see grandchildren bounce on your knee before Jesus returns. We don't know. So we, we're not going to sit around on clouds playing harps waiting on Jesus to come again. And, to, and he doesn't intend for us to do that. When we read in Matthew, let's read it again. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And he talks about there's one in the field working, one will be taken, one is left. There'll be two women at the grind, one taken and one left. What does that tell me? They're working, they're marrying, they're giving in marriage. So I encourage you, what should you be doing? Plan for the future. Get up and go to work. But the main thing we are supposed to be doing is restraining. Are you hearing me? You hear me all the way in the back? You hear me in the front? Both sides. He who restrains will restrain. We are supposed to be restraining the evil one. That's our job. That's what we're supposed to be doing right now. And how are we supposed to do that? We don't do it by going out and becoming a militant of some type. We don't start beating our brother. We don't start going out and eating and drinking with the drunkard. What, what is that talking about? What that's talking about is we don't do things the way the world does it. The Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not natural. They're not carnal. Our weapons are mighty through God. So how are we going to restrain the evil one? Well, I think that we need to do what Noah did. Because he says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. Well, what was Noah doing? Noah was working every day building the ark. In other words, he was doing what God told him to do. Folks, I like to think that I've been doing what I'm supposed to be doing tomorrow and the next day and the next day for the past 30-some years. Obeying the Word of God. He told us, the last thing He told us, go and tell the good news to every creature. He that believes shall be saved, and he that does not shall be damned. We can't stop what is about to happen. We don't need to join any kind of a movement that's trying to fix this old world because you can't fix this old world. No movement's going to do that but one. Christianity, and you're already a part of that. And I believe that if Christianity had done what it was supposed to do, we wouldn't be in the predicament we're in now because they would have never taken the Word of God out of the school. They wouldn't have taken prayer out of the school. And so what are we supposed to do? Will they tell you that you can't mention the name of Jesus in school? Young people, look at me and listen. You have a commandment from a higher authority than the school board to go and preach the gospel. 
My wife used to work down at the game department. And she's witnessing to people in the game department. And one lady says, you can't talk about Jesus here. This is a state institution. Well, Jeannie let her know real quick. My constitutional rights didn't stop at that doorpost out there. And I've got a commandment from a higher authority. And I'm going to talk about Jesus everywhere I am. And in a very nice way, she let them know, if you don't like it, don't listen. But I'm going to proclaim the gospel. That woman got more brass than most men I know. I wish I was half as brave as she is. Abortion? Folks, we don't need to go out and burn down abortion clinics and shoot abortion doctors. What we need to do is tell them about Jesus. If you save the abortionist, he'll stop doing abortions. You should watch the movie October Baby. Anybody seen that movie? The lady that performed that that uh, abortion, she quit. Now I don't know if Christianity was the influence of that. I don't, I don't. I didn't get that out of that movie. I didn't really. I need to go watch it again. I guess. But she became a nurse that tried to save life instead of destroy it. Go and witness to the young girl that's getting ready to end the life of her child. In 1982, I went to work, but my welder, his nickname was Nuke. He was a nuclear welder. Everybody called him Nuke. Came to work one day, and he's upset because his girlfriend was pregnant. And he said, I told her to take a coat hanger and go in the back room and deal with it. And he's trying to talk her into getting an abortion. Now, I could have looked at him with detest and despised him or thought bad of him. What I did was I had a heart-to-heart talk with him. I said, I said Nuke, listen to me. That's your son you're talking about. That's your daughter. Made it personal. That's your daughter you're talking about. One day, that little boy might stand with his feet in your shoes, wanting to be like daddy. One day, that little girl's going to come up and whirl around in front of you in her little dress and say, Daddy, don't you think I'm pretty? I said, you need to think about what you're doing. It wasn't long after that the job ended. I got my layoff slip. I went on the way home. I picked up a U-Haul truck. I backed up to the house. We loaded up everything that evening. The next day, we were in South Carolina getting ready to go to Bible college. They called my father-in-law. Wanted to know where I was at. Said they had some more work. And when we come back out there, he said, "You're too late. He's already in South Carolina." <laughs> so it was years later. We'd gone to Connecticut, helped plant a church up there. Came back to Virginia in 1988. We came back. And I went to work down at Park 500. I was running a crew down there. I had 28 men working for me. And I went upstairs to check on one of my men. And who did I see coming down the hallway? was working for another company. It was Newt. I got to talking to him. He had three children. The little girl whom he was going to abort. And two other children. He had custody of all three of them. He still had, wasn't married. Bless his heart. But... <laughs> He knew where I stood. I witnessed to him. But those three kids was the love of his life. Folks, you've got to be Jesus to people. You can't hate those people. You can't distance yourself from those people. But homosexuality is one of the most disgusting things I can think of, church. Now, that's me personally. I, don't, I hope I don't offend you, but that's just disgusting to me. I believe it's disgusting to God. He said it's an abomination. The act itself. But the person's not disgusting to me. And it took me a long time to get there. 
But I've gone out of my way to reach out to homosexual people. Not because I got that thing going on. Don't get me wrong here now. I'm man from head to toe. I got a thing for my wife, and that's it. So I want to make that perfectly clear now. But when I'm around them, I, I, I make it a point to be kind to them. If you remember a few years ago, I told you Christmas is a great time to go out and witness to your neighbors. Because you can take a gift to your neighbor and say, Merry Christmas. It's a time of the season that people are open for strangers and other, just all kinds of things they would not be open to any other time of the year. And I encourage you, take a gift and go to your neighbors and open the door for dialogue so that you can meet them and get to know them and just be Jesus to them. You don't have to thunder in there and start preaching to them. Just be Jesus to them. Jeannie yeah. and I took, we, we had honeybees and we collected, had a good harvest of honey that year. We took little jars of honey and went to all of our neighbors and took them a jar of honey. Said so this came, this is indigenous to our neighborhood. And if you take this, they say it's good for allergies. And we just started talking to them. Well, there's a couple that lives down the road there. Two ladies live together, and you don't want to judge, but you assume. And I found out later it was actually a, they they were in a relationship. And so I went down and I took them a jar of honey. Well, that opened an opportunity to have dialogue with them. They had a lot of interest that we had. They had chickens. I got chickens, man. I like my chickens and fresh eggs and that, and and um, just the different things and that they were interested in and we were interested in. So we would call them up. One of them had had artificial insemination and had a biological son, the age of my granddaughter. Invited him over. Said, come on, bring over, play with my granddaughter, you know. Come over for coffee. And we started talking back and forth. She was interested in honeybees. So I went and got a hive. I set her up a hive. I said, I'm going to order bees next spring. I'll help you hive them up, and this and that. Then friend day came around. Remember friend day? I took a flyer. I went by there. I said, I want you to come be my friend Sunday. Would you come to church with me? Gave her the flyer. Well, they didn't come. Neither one of them came. The next year, friend day came around again. And I drove by and drove by. I'm like, i got to get down there. i got to get down there. I went to all my neighbors. I took every one of them friend day. Come be my friend. One of them, all of them came one time. And so I finally, the day before friend day, Saturday, I drove down there. Well, when I got down there, the parking lot was full of cars without a state plates. I'm like, oh, man, I hate to intrude, you know. But I went on up and knocked on the door. Well, I go in, and this young lady's parents are there and her sister. And so I go in, and she introduces me. Well, her mother, when she heard this is a pastor in the community, she got up and came over and started talking and wanted to know what this is all about. All right, so I told her, I said, well, it's friend day and that. And so the next morning, our friend down the road didn't come, but her mother and father did. And we met them out in the hall, and they told me, we raised our daughter in the assemblies of God. And when she went into the military, she chose this lifestyle. And the father stood right outside this door and wet the hall with his tears and says, it's my fault. I wasn't there for her when she was growing up. I wasn't the father that I should have been. And they were so heartbroken. And she said, I've been praying for my daughter. All her life. And she called me up two years ago, I think it was, at Christmas and said, Mom, a local pastor came by my house and brought me a jar of honey.
Folks, you've got to be Jesus to people. You can't despise these people. What are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be doing what Noah did. Obeying God's word. What is that? It's simple. Get up. Plan for your future. They were marrying, giving in marriage. They were going out to work. Get up and go to work every day. You do what you do every day. What I hope you've been doing for the past years. Keep doing that. But be Jesus to people. That's how we restrain evil. Pray for Israel. There's nothing. You say, well, pastor, aren't you supposed to get involved and get engaged politically? Sure. Absolutely. Call your senator. Write letters to your senator. Get involved. Run for political office. But you do it with a love for the cause, not a detest for the perpetrators. It's all the attitude of your heart. That's what God's looking at. Because really, folks, there's nothing else we can do about this thing. It's going down. See, God has decreed things. He does things by His permissive decree or His efficacious decree. His permissive decree may allow things to happen different than what He had, what he had planned because sometimes He says, you have not for you ask not. You say, does God change His mind? Yeah, sure He does. The Bible says He did. He was going to destroy the whole Israelite nation. And Moses went to him and says, don't do that, God. The whole world will mock you if you destroy your people. And the Bible says God repented of destroying them. doesn't mean that he repented as if he'd sinned. It said he changed his mind. He decided, okay, I will not do it. And I don't think he planned to do it anyway. He was just giving Moses an opportunity to be what he was supposed to be, the leader. God sets the stage to see what you're going to do or to give you the opportunity to see what's in you. But he does things by his permissive decree. But there's some things that his efficacious decree, he will not change it. Jesus is coming back again, period. That'll never change. The things that he prophesied about this old world are going to happen, period. That's never going to change. So you say, well, what are we supposed to do from now to then? Plan for the future. Get up and go to work. Try to achieve the things that you plan. I'm working on putting together a honor-bound motorcycle ministry. My whole archery thing seems to be crumbling all around me. I can't get the land and that, that so that's, that's all right. We'll just get a motorcycle ministry instead. That would be a lot more fun anyhow. Plan for the future, work to achieve it, and watch for the return. He says, watch therefore. Watch therefore. Watch therefore. For the Son of Man will return in a day that you do not think. We need to look toward the eastern sky every day. It's today the day. Amen?